one or two priests. This is six million people were to be a kingdom of priests to worship and, and praise his name. Then in Exodus, that was Exodus 19, we, we picked that up. And then the Exodus 20, we see the Ten Commandments. And then a little bit later, Exodus 25, we see the building of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. We're going to talk about that, God willing, next week in conjunction with Pentecost. <laughs> it's amazing how it's just worked out so beautifully. So we're going to talk about our permanent ta tabernacling with the Lord um, next week on Pentecost, which we know is 50 days after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The tabernacle, we know, was to be a visible sign of the abiding presence of God. And as I said, we'll talk about it more next week. Kind of like a portable Sinai for them, Mount Sinai. Just as God rested in glory on the mountain, so would God's glory fill that tabernacle and be present with the people in a very real and tangible way that they were able to experience him. Problem, of course, is by the time we get to where we are this morning, Exodus 33, the people have stumbled, and they've stumbled badly. By worshiping the golden calf, they've betrayed their relationship with God. They've hurt him. They've angered him. So right after that betrayal, God changes his mind about the state of their, his relationship with them. And let's pick up the story now in Exodus chapter 33. And I read from verse 1. Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I laugh at this because God has made it clear he's the one who's brought the people out. You know, he carried them out on eagle's wings and all the rest of it. Now he's, he's angry. He says to Moses, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, you know. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And Tikbites, in case you didn't get that one. <laughs> go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So bottom line is God says, I'm going to send an angel. I'm not going to go myself. I won't abandon you. I'll be true to the covenant I made to you, but I will not be present in the way that I originally planned. In other words, the Lord's abiding, dwelling presence would not go with the Israelites as they journeyed through the wilderness. And God says, furthermore, it's for your own good. If I had to go with you, I would destroy you because you're stiff-necked, you evil, you're only thinking about all the wrong things all the time, so it's better that I don't go, I'll just send a representative. Now Moses, to put it mildly, isn't satisfied with his new arrangement. And we pick up the story again in Exodus 33, verse 12. Just skip down a few verses. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. And look at verse 13. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. I mean, this is like <laughs> almost bribery, you know. <laughs> He's just calling it as it is. 
And then verse 14, God seems to just change his mind. He says, the Lord replies, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I mean, wow. In response to Moses' plea, God changes his mind and says, okay, I will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 14, verse 15, Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, <laughs> he really pushes the button here. Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face and live, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, in the rock, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Remember that old hymn we used to sing, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in. Verse 23, then I will remove my hand and you will see my back but my face must not be seen. Now, this might seem contradictory. We didn't read verse 11, because if you go back to verse 11, you'll see it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And then a few verses later, it says, you cannot see my face. Face to face just means one-on-one. -on -one. It doesn't mean this face and your face. It means one-on-one. -on -one. God was personally interacting with Moses. doesn't mean Moses saw the face of God and then God says, but you can't see my face because you're going to die. Got the picture? It's Hebrew language. That God chose to reveal himself and abide with human beings, I think, is an astonishing thing indeed. It just blows my mind that God should have interacted with humans that he knows was going, were going to hurt him anyway. He knew we're going to let him down, yet he chose to be in a relationship with human beings, making him vulnerable to the pain that must have come out of that relationship. He knew what he was letting himself in for, that betrayal. But it also means to me that God desired communication, face-to-face, one-on-one with us as people. And Moses, perhaps, is a model of that sort of authentic, divine communication one-on-one. -on -one. He models, Moses models a prayer for us, prayer that's not afraid to hold God to his own promises, prayer that's not afraid to appeal to God for his love towards the people. Amazing. Verse 14, my presence will go with you. He changes his mind. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. See, Moses, through this audacious prayer, succeeds in securing God's promises that indeed God will abide with them 
through their long wilderness journey. And next week we're going to find out that that happened in a very tangible, physical way in the tabernacle or tent of meeting, if you like. So as always, we're going to look at some lessons from the story. And lesson number one, as we look at the way Moses interacted or prayed, if you like, to God. Lesson number one is that we need to seek out God's way, His way. Verse 13, he prays, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Now that favor is not health, wealth, blessing, prosperity for Moses' sake. That favor is to continue to be able to interact with God and know his presence and his presence among the people. So he's saying to God, show me your ways, your ways so that I may know you and continue to be able to abide in your presence. Your ways, he says, teach me. He recognizes that he doesn't have what it took, not only to lead the people, but what it took to lead himself, to interact with God. So he's saying, teach me, God, teach me your way. Your way is the only way. We see David praying a similar prayer in, in Psalm 86 where he prays, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an un undivided heart that I may fear your name. The old King James said, Unite my heart that I may fear your name. He prays the same here as Moses prays. Teach me your ways. I don't want to have a divided heart. From Monday to Friday, I go this way, and Saturday, I go another way, and maybe on Sunday, my heart's a little bit together. All to Jesus, I surrender on a Sunday morning, and not for the rest of the week, you know? Give me an undivided heart. Teach me your ways, because I want to know you. Proverbs 14, 12 gives us a warning. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, and it's always like that. It seems that this is the right way to go. It seems that this is what I should do. You know, logic tells me this is what I must do. But the Bible says in the end, it leads to death if it's not God's way. In Psalm 103, we see a wonderful fulfillment of the promise to Moses. Moses' prayer, rather, where he says, show me your way or teach me your way. In Psalm 103, it says, God made known his ways to Moses. So he answered him, his deeds to the people of Israel. And then the Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So his ways is never for personal gratification. <clears throat> it's rather to know him. Teach me your ways, not so I can get rich. Teach me your ways, not so I can get healed. Although that's part of it, and I'll, I'll see how just now. But teach me your ways. Why? So I can know you. I want to know you. It's so opposite to the prosperity stuff. It's so opposite to using this key or that key to accessing wealth and health and power and success and influence and fame and all the rest of it that flies around. His principles, his ways are essentially and primarily for the purpose of knowing him. And let's not forget it. We are not in this thing to see what we can get out of God. We are in this thing to learn to know him. 
That's what it's all about. Teach me your ways so that I can know you. This is perhaps what Jesus meant in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not heaven, part of it. Eternal life is not joy, peace, love, all those things. For it's part of it. Eternal life, according to Jesus, is to know him. Teach me your ways, Moses prays, so that I can know you. His ways to know him, and as a byproduct, end result, obviously, eventually, find favor. I want to know you, and as a byproduct, that favor that comes with it. A key to all our prayers is to be teachable to his ways. Whatever issue you're dealing with right now, I want to encourage you, press into his ways. Change your prayer. Lord, heal me. Change your prayer to, Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I need money. Change your prayer. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want that promotion. Change your prayer. Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Lord, I only want to know your ways so that I can know you. Lesson number one. Lesson number two. We need to consciously abide in his presence. Consciously abide in his presence. Verse 14 again, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So God promises his presence. It's a done deal. Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. There's an element of desperation here. I keep doing something that's bad and then my sermon just disappears. I'm getting a bit desperate. Lord, show me how this thing works. And I try and do it without glasses because my glasses irritate me. So I make the words really big, you know. <laughs> Are we getting back? Don't know what I do. I press something and it just disappears. So there's an element of desperation here. Moses knew he must have God's presence with him or he didn't want to go. If your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go from here. I want to know your presence. Moses knew he couldn't do it without God. And this is sometimes so not us. It's so not me. Maybe it's not so not you, but it's definitely so not me sometimes. Where I think I've got this thing. I can do it. Sometimes we think we're so smart, so rehearsed, so in control perhaps, so on top of things. Maybe so educated or so comfortable, so wealthy, so together, so healthy, so everything's flying, you know. And then COVID happens <laughs> in an instant and God just laughs at our pathetic efforts uh, sometimes as human beings. Friends, we can do nothing of eternal value without him. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from this place. That's why Pentecost happened. We'll talk about that more next week. Acts chapter 2, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Simeon, we sang it this morning. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of my presence, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling, forever abiding presence of God here. Let your glory fill this place. Not talking about a physical building. It's this place. Your presence. 
The promise is for you and your children, for all whom the Lord your God will call. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, another exactly like myself. The Spirit of Truth. You know how nice it is to know that the Spirit of Truth, the very presence of God, lives in us. In an age where we don't know what truth is, Somebody saying this is what the vaccine is. Somebody saying that's what the vaccine is. One political leader saying this is the truth and another political leader saying that's the truth. And they are on opposing poles of the platform, you know. Everybody's crying truth, truth. But there's actually no truth outside of the presence of Almighty God. Imagine a political leader standing up and saying, if God doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> If your presence is not there, we're not interested. Man, oh man. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Friends, we need to consciously abide, stay, remain in his presence. If you like, we need to practice his presence. We need to become more aware of him in us, alive, the spirit of truth, wanting to lead us and guide us into all truth. Again, I don't think that the Holy Spirit convicts us when we are in the kingdom. He has come to convict the world in regard to sin and unrighteousness and all the rest of it. But for us, he leads us into truth. He uncovers truth. He allows us to see the truth. And we do that through the word of God. We need to consciously abide in his presence like Moses did. Lesson number three. We need to pray out of relationship. Moses said, verse 18, now show me your glory. I mean, just imagine. <laughs> I mean, he's just he's changed, changed God's mind from not going with them. He was just going to send an angel with them. Changed him to saying, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And now he says to God, now <laughs> show me your glory. I mean, this is a boldness unlike anything else. That word show in the Hebrew means to reveal, to examine, to inspect, to see, to understand. So he's saying to God, now I want to understand your glory. I want to see it. I want to inspect it. I want to examine it. I want to know everything about it. That's what he's saying. Show me your glory. The word glory is the word kabod, which means a heaviness. It means a burden or riches or reputation or importance or splendor. So he's saying to God, now God, I want to inspect. I want to examine. I want to see. I want to understand this heaviness about you. This heaviness of favor, of, of riches, of reputation. This this burden, this burden of uh, weight of, of who you are. I want to understand that. Now show me your glory. Moses is bold enough based upon this one thing, his relationship with God. The fact that he knew God person to person, face to face. You can't ask this when you're far off. 
You ask this when you're in the inner court, when you've got a relationship with God. And this is how it should be. Us striving, us asking, show me your glory. Us wanting to know more and more about God and who he is, and not just what he can do for us. Isn't that most of our prayer? Most of our prayer time is getting God to do something for us. Trying to get God to orchestrate circumstances or do this or give me that or give me that. We reduce God to a golden calf. Let me pause for a minute. I had interaction with somebody who perhaps misunderstood something I put out this week. Those of you on the church WhatsApp group, uh, if you're not on the church WhatsApp group, please just give your number to one of the ushers or send it to me or something and I'll put you on. But I did ask you just to pause and remember the day of ascension. <laughs> and somebody took umbrage to this fact that I'm calling on the church to celebrate ascension day, but not, but we can't celebrate the birth or the death or the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> You've missed me completely. I never asked you to celebrate Ascension Day. I asked you to remember it. We know specifically when it is because it's exactly 40 days after the day after the Sabbath of Passover. So that would make it 40 days from Resurrection Sunday. And yes, you can celebrate the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ every single day of your life. Just don't celebrate pagan Christmas and pagan Easter. That's all I'm asking. So if you misunderstood it, I'm hoping that things are all getting into thing now. And if you're watching me at home, I'm hoping you understand what I'm saying now. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> okay, that was just a side. Our praying must become rooted in who God is and not just the fact that nothing is impossible for God. Because we can say as much as we like, nothing's impossible for God. But until I know who God is, I don't have the faith to understand that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing's impossible for God will just be a mantra to me. I'm praying this because nothing's impossible for God. Unless I know who God is, unless like Moses I have said, show me your glory. I want to understand the full weight of who you are. Because then, when I say nothing's impossible for God, man, I mean it with all my heart. And I believe it with all my heart. Because I've come to know who God is. And therefore, nothing is impossible for God. Do you see what I'm saying? Our praying must become rooted in who He is. It's based, it's relational. And it's based upon our face-to-faceness. I'm not looking for his hand. I'm looking for his heart. Primarily, I'm looking for his heart. I start with his heart and I end with his heart. And he's a good father. He will give me everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that the pagans run after will be added unto you as well. It starts with his heart. It starts with who he is. Lord, show me your glory. <coughs> this kind of boldness can only come out of a relationship that's more concerned with intimacy than with provision. Saints, we've got to move beyond provision. 
We've got to move beyond praying for our bills. We've got to move beyond praying for, I think I broke my toe last night, my broken toe. It's all on my left side. I kicked my foot against the, a skirting board and my toe's blue and it's the size of my thumb, the one next to the little one, and it's aching like crazy. We've got to get beyond praying for our little toes and all of these, these things and move on to knowing God. Show me your glory. Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Not one mention of, Lord, help me. Lord, my enemies are attacking me. Lord, I need your provision. It's, Oh God, my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food with singing lips. My mouth will praise you. Friends, we need to learn to pray out of relationship. I don't know why I put the scripture in here. Habakkuk chapter 2. Woe to him who builds a city. Oh, just, just for hope. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime, 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 crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Eventually all mankind will know the glory of God and what they've missed. In the meantime, we know it and push into it. We need to pray out of relationship. And lastly, the fourth lesson very quickly. We need to inhabit, dwell in a tsunami of favor. I don't know how to say this, but let me explain it. The Lord said, verse 19 again, I will cause all of my goodness. Moses said, show me your glory. God says, I will cause all of my goodness. Goodness, glory. Two different words. Show me your glory. God says, I will show you my goodness. To pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Glory passes by, put you in a cleft, cover you with my hand. Then I will remove my hand, you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. That word goodness means best things. I will show you my best things. I will show you my beauty. I will show you my happiness. I will show you my well-being. I will show you my prosperity. God says, I will show you all my, let all my goodness pass before you. Best things, beauty, happiness, well-being, prosperity. I don't know what Moses saw. Did Moses see a vision? Did he... Did God just open the curtain so that he could have a glimpse of heaven or, or heavenly realms? I, I try to imagine what Moses must have seen, you know, as God passed by with all of his goodness. He must have seen something, whether in the spirit or with his eyes. or It must have been an amazing experience. But this wave, all my goodness, Plus a proclamation of my name, Yahweh. And the name is who he actually is. 
His mercy, His compassion, hidden in a cleft of the rock, protected from the force of the tsunami of goodness, this wave that would pass by in front of Moses. Now the question is, was this just for Moses? And the answer is, I don't think so. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison, on comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, uh, a veil covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Sounds like I read that already. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, say we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. That tsunami, that wave of all of His goodness are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, in Christ, we need to dwell in that place. We need to inhabit that tsunami of favor in the confident protection of who he is. Boldly as Moses came, we come boldly through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are in this dispensation of freedom of the Spirit. Not freedom to live sinful lives or freedom to do this and freedom to do that. Freedom to remain in this place of absolute glory ever-increasing glory that God bestows upon us by His own hand and His own will. So, what have we learned or be reminded of this morning? Number one, we need to seek out His way. You've got an issue? Seek out His way. Lord, show me your ways. I want to know your ways. Secondly, consciously abiding in His presence. He's given us His Spirit. We don't leave when we leave church today, leave his presence. We don't leave when we leave our quiet time or when we stop reading the word and we get up. and We don't leave. We, we are in his presence 24-7. We need to pray out of relationship, not praying out of desperation or praying out of, you know, these firing prayers here and firing prayers there and all over the place but out of that face-to-face -face relationship, because I know who he is, nothing is impossible for him. And inhabit, living, dwelling in this tsunami of favor. And I wish I had more time to expand that point. 
but we need to stay in that place of ever-increasing glory in the freedom of his spirit. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord, thank you for these moments that we've had to open your word. Thank you once again that we can look back to this narrative in your word, the story of Moses and his interaction with you. We thank you for it. And thank you that we can learn these and perhaps many more lessons out of it. We are so grateful, Lord, that you've given us your word. So grateful that we can come before you this morning, not through a man, not through a denomination, not through an institution, but through our Lord Jesus Christ, who ever lives seated at the right hand in the position of power and authority of the throne of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. Thank you, Spirit of Truth, that even now if there's stuff we haven't quite got or misinterpreted or got confused about or anything else, Lord, thank you that the Spirit of Truth will lead us into all truth. We thank you for that. We bless you, we praise you, we honor you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So, I'm glad I came today. I hope you're glad you came today. Glad to be able to open up God's Word. Glad to be able to learn a little bit, be reminded a little bit. And glad to be with you and with one another. Those of you from Port White, go with God wherever you're going to. Nice to have met you very briefly. And I'm sure the Libongos are going to miss you. <laughs> yeah. Lovely stuff. Have a good day. Look at somebody and say, you head not the tail. First and not last. Learn to many. Borrow from none. Blessed as you come. Blessed as you go. In Jesus' name. Have a lovely, lovely day. Bye-bye.